Luke chapter 7, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and be finding Luke chapter 7. And, and while you're finding that, I want to just pose a question to you. Um, why are you here? Kind of a simple question. I had to ask myself why I was here a little earlier. Um, and that's not meant to be sarcastic or smart, Alec. It's just meant to be a reflective question. What are you doing here? Maybe what we should do is just keep that as a rhetorical question. Uh, and then later on, uh, you'll begin to understand maybe and begin to answer that question for your own. What do we call... Uh, anybody got their bulletin open? Robert, you do, right there. What's that big word at the top of the, of the right-hand side of the inside of the bulletin? No, left-hand side. Sorry, I don't know my right from my left. Worship. Did anybody come here for that? <laughs> that's, um, I hope so, because that being the, the word we put at the top of what we call when we come in here and do all the, this order of songs that we sing and these prayers that we pray and these sermons that we preach and these scriptures that we read, the word that we put at the top of all that to say this is what all this is, is worship. So I hope that's what you came for, because <laughs> if you didn't, you might be disappointed. If you didn't, you may walk out of here not getting what you expected to get. And what I, wanna, what I want us to, to start thinking about this morning, and, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of this is overflow of the things that our students learned last week. Some of the things that God was teaching me in my own heart, and my desire is just to, is just to let God uh, present that to you this morning, so that maybe... Um, he can teach you the same way he's been teaching us. Um, a genuine worship experience begins with what a person brings, not with what he or she seeks to receive. Um, how often do you hear yourself or other people around you talk about coming to church and anticipating what you're going to get when you come? And that may come in the form of, now I wonder what the preacher's sermon is going to be about today. Or I wonder what songs Kevin's going to pick for worship. Or I wonder what the choir's going to sing. And all of those things we kind of have in our head. The reason that we have those comments most of the time is because we think, man, I hope it's something that I like. Right? I hope we sing hymns that I like. I hope we sing praise songs that I like. I hope the choir sings one of their songs that I like. I hope so-and-so, whoever's singing a solo, man, I hope they're singing the song that I like. I hope the preacher preaches something that's going to bless my heart. Right? I mean, really, we, we all do that. What, what I want us to look at in Scripture this morning, there's a woman in Luke chapter 7 that I want us to look at. And I think what we're going to find is that maybe for a long time, we've come to worship in the wrong place, um, coming to expect to receive things, when maybe the motivation for worship is not to come to see what we can receive, but it's in what we bring with us when we come. So I want to talk about the things that this woman brought to Christ in her worship. Um, when I was in college, there was a real simple little analogy that I'll share real quick before we get started. Um, that if you were to compare what happens in church on Sunday morning to the theater, um, how would you... And there, it, when you go to the theater, what are the big main components of a the theater? You've got actors, right? And then you have an audience, and then you have directors, okay? Directors, actors, audience, those three 
parts of the theater. John's sitting back there. He knows what I'm talking about. Now, parallel that with what we do in church. Who's the audience? Y'all? Yeah? Okay. Who are the directors? Me, Kevin, right? Um, who are the actors? Or, uh, yeah, that's right. Who, who's the actor or actors? Did anybody say God? Is that what I heard somebody say? Okay. Like God is the actor, you're the audience, and Kevin and I are Tim, whoever's up here, we're the directors. Wrong, 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 wrong. And I was wrong, because, I mean, I, I used to think that too. Here's the way it should be. Um, the directors, y'all, I think y'all got right. Um, actually, what most people say is that the, the actors are people like me, or the choir, or Kevin, and that the director would be God. That's what makes some of y'all might have been thinking that. That's what most people say. The director's God. We're the actors, these the guys like me, and y'all are the audience. That's still wrong. <laughs> God is the audience. Amen. Kevin and myself, or whoever is up here on this platform, are the directors. And you are the actors. So how many actors, John, come to the theater unprepared? Well, many do, unfortunately, <laughs> right? But what happens when, when all the actors show up and they're not ready to perform? You don't have a show, do you? you, ever, do you maybe the parallel, do you ever think if, if all of us show up to church and we're not prepared to worship that we don't, we don't have worship? If we're not prepared to bring what, we, what we're supposed to bring, then we don't have church. We just, we just kind of sit around. Luke chapter 7. I want to read this passage, and then there's, uh, there's six things quickly that I want us to, to look at and go over. Um, Luke chapter 7 begins in verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Um, there's several, oh man, there's lots of stuff in this passage. Lots and lots of stuff. Um, but what I want us to focus on um, is, this, is this woman. We're going to focus on this woman and then maybe on Simon, this Pharisee, just a little bit. Um, she brought things in her, in her coming to Jesus. There were several things that we see in this passage that she brought with her that were part of her coming to Jesus. And I want us to, to go over a few of those things. The first thing is that she brought awareness to worship. Awareness. Um, I don't think anybody would argue and say what this woman does in this passage is, is not worship. It, I mean, she came to worship her Savior. She came to worship her Lord. She had already, the text implies that she had already had an encounter with Jesus. She had already seen him. Um, likely already had experienced forgiveness and grace and mercy from him. But the first thing she brought was awareness. Awareness of two things. I want you to take note of this. She was aware of who Jesus was. And she was aware of who she was. Now those are two things that we have to bring with us if we want to worship. Um, awareness of who Jesus is. And all of us have our pictures of who Jesus is. Uh, we either grew up with those little children's Bibles that have the little full-color picture that wraps all around the cover that's got Jesus sitting on the rocks with the boys and girls, and he's loving on them. And, and, or, or we have that, um, that picture of Jesus that maybe, if you're my age, maybe your grandmother's generation had hanging in their house, and Jesus is just kind of uh, doing this, this gentle gaze uh, over to the left and, and, and he's got blue eyes and brown hair. And, and I mean, everybody has their picture of, of, of who Jesus is. Um, but we've got to be aware of who we're coming to worship. We, we don't, we're not worshiping that picture. We're not worshiping that, that picture of Jesus that we see on the fronts of those Bibles or in those frames hanging on our walls. Um, what I want you to do with me for just a minute is close your eyes. Okay? I want my, my desire is to try to help you get a glimpse of who we come here to worship. Um, in Revelation, uh, I'm, I'm going to read it to you, so there's no need for you to try to find it in your Bible. But Revelation, I'm going to read from you from chapter 1 and from chapter 4. This is who we come to worship. This is John writing. Chapter 1. Just try to picture this as I read this to you. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. 
In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And then in chapter 4, keep your eyes closed, keep picturing. John says, we, we sang a song earlier about, God, you are on your throne. Chapter 4, at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was, and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship, and, and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Don't open your eyes yet. Can you see that? Here's this being on this throne that is so brilliant. John can barely find the words in his language to describe what he sees. That's who you're singing your songs to. When you pray, that's who you're praying to. You can open your eyes. She was aware of who Jesus was. She saw him for who he really was. And she was also aware of who she was. And where the text says that a woman in that town who was a sinner. Uh, that word sinner in the Greek implies not just a sinner like we think of our sin. <laughs> like we, we tend to think of our sin as not that bad. But that Greek word describes her sin, a sinner as a heinous 
and habitual sinner. You ever think of yourself as a heinous, habitual sinner? Maybe in the light of of what you just tried to picture in your mind, that Scripture describes the throne of God and describes the person of Jesus Christ as He's glorified in heaven with the Father. We should feel like a heinous and habitual sinner. I mean, are we really anything other than that? Maybe not to the person, maybe not compared to the person that lives down the street, or maybe not compared to the person that was on the the five o'clock news, or maybe not compared to that person that sits in your classroom that gets in trouble all the time. Maybe not compared to all those people. Are you heinous and habitual sinner? But you're not. We're not about worship. Is not about comparing yourselves to everybody that's around you. Worship is about comparing yourself to the living, holy omnipotent God. Now who are you when you stand next to him? When you stand beside that throne that we just read about, who are you? What do you look like? And how how do you feel? We have to to bring awareness to worship. We don't just come to worship uh, thinking uh, that we're doing God a favor. God on the throne, me, is there really anything I can do to help him out? (laughs) She was aware of who Jesus was. That was part of her worship. The second thing was that she brought sacrifice to worship. Um, Let me ask you this, maybe something to think about. What, What did it cost us to be here this morning? Think about what it costs you to come here. Some of you may think, well, nothing. Maybe a couple bucks worth of gas, maybe. Romans chapter 12, in the very first verse, this is what Paul says. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your act of worship. He didn't say anything about singing songs right here. Didn't say anything about singing songs. Didn't say anything about dressing up. Didn't say anything about all the things that we kind of put into church. Living sacrifices. And so, what... Think about what is, what is your sacrifice. Look at this woman in this text. What, what did, the question, what does it cost her? This, this jar, this vial of perfume that she brings to Jesus, uh, most historians will estimate that that, co- that would have cost her at least about 300 denarii. Which one denarii in this culture is one day's wages. So we're talking at least. This was like a year's wages. That she is bringing and pouring all over the floor. And pouring all over Jesus' feet. A year's wages. (laughs) 
and then what, 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 do we, what does it take for, what do we have to sacrifice? What kind of sacrifice do we bring to our worship? Anybody going to put a check for their whole year's salary in the offering today? I doubt it. <laughs> but but what, do you, what kind of sacrifice do we bring when we come to worship? I want to read you a news story that I read on the internet. Uh, there's a website, there's an organization called Voice of the Martyrs, and there's a website that you can go to that's called persecution.com. And you can take a look at that. I just want to read. Uh, on May 21st of this year, I don't know what you were doing on May 21st, uh, but in Iran, five newly converted Christians were, were arrested after plainclothes security officers raided a house church where they were gathered for Bible study. The leader of the house church was among those arrested, and his house was searched during the raid. He was given no arrest warrant by the security officers, and his house was searched without any court authorization. In this search and seizure, several Bibles and New Testaments were confiscated, and all the participants were handcuffed and taken to an unknown location. The families of the arrested believers have tried to ask the government where their loved ones are being held without any success. The government has always refused to disclose where it holds arrested believers. On March 5th, two women, ages 27 and 30, were arrested by Iranian security forces and labeled anti-government activists. Both are ill, but their faith in Christ has not wavered. And one of them was quoted as saying, I've taken up my cross, now I have to bear it. What does it cost us to get up on Sunday morning and come, come worship? <laughs> well, man, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Or if the preacher don't hurry up and get finished, we may have to stand in line an extra 30 minutes when we go out to eat. Anybody worried about the government coming in here and handcuffing us all and taking us to prison and not telling our families where we are? But there are believers in this world, on this planet, this day, who are meeting in underground places because that's what they know it's going to cost them to worship and they're willing to risk that. That's a sacrifice they're willing to make. I read another news report that a believer was dragged out of a house church and doused with kerosene and set on fire. Like a month ago. Not like a hundred years ago. Like a few weeks ago. And in the midst of it, they continued to worship. It cost her great things to bust into this dinner meeting and worship Jesus. And so maybe the thing that we should, what kind of sacrifice do we bring when we come? The third thing she brought was service. She brought service to worship. Um, it says that she, um, she stood behind him in his feet weeping and she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume over them. I don't know if you ever thought of this or not, but um, how do you think Jesus' feet were that day? Nasty. 
I mean, this is, this is not, I mean, he didn't have, I mean, my kids' feet are nasty when they wear Sperry's. Okay, like without socks, you know what I'm talking about? You wear those, those loafer things without socks, and you come home, you take them off, and whoa. I, don't know, I know that's how it is with my kids anyway. I have to, we have to leave them in the garage. I take your shoes off, put them in the garage, because they're, they're nasty. Go put socks on so we don't smell your feet. Uh, Jesus, uh, I mean, he's walking around. Sandals, I mean, they didn't have Birkenstocks back then either, which is kind of maybe what we put in our mind. I mean, their sandals were basically a, a strip, a piece of leather on the bottom of their fit, foot with little straps of leather tying it to the bottom of their feet. Okay, so not much protection from dirt and crud and stuff getting up in your toe, toenails and, and nasty, nasty, nasty. But her, her desire was to come and minister to Jesus, was to serve him. And it says that she cried over his feet and her, her tears wet his feet. And she, and she took her hair and was wiping his feet to clean them. And it says that she kissed his feet and didn't stop. Not just this little nice, I mean, just this affectionate outpouring of, of gratitude to Jesus. She's like, whatever I can do for you to serve you. And you may think, well, Jesus is not here when we come to church. I can't come and wash Jesus' feet and kiss his feet and cry on his feet and do all this stuff this woman did. Well, you're right. We can't. But in Matthew 25, Jesus taught a very poignant lesson when he was talking about the parable, talking about the sheep and the goats and how it's going to be in heaven. And Jesus looks to the ones on his right who are the sheep and he talks about all the things that they did to serve people. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. When I was sick, you, you, you helped me. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And he's saying all this, and they go, well, Jesus, when did we do that? We don't remember seeing you and giving you food or giving you clothes or doing any of those things. And he said, whenever you did this to the least of one of my brothers, you did it to me. And so you ask, how am I supposed to serve Jesus like this woman did? By serving one another. By taking care of people. When you take care of people, you take care of Jesus. It's pretty plain and simple. He, he lays it out there very plainly. When, when we see somebody that's in need and we don't, and we have the resources to help them and we choose not to, that's Jesus that we're choosing not to help. When, when, you, when you do have that moment where you... Uh, you feel strongly about ministering to somebody, whether it's somebody in this church or somebody outside of this church. And you minister to them. When you serve somebody who is your neighbor, and the, and, the, and the teacher of the law asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus pretty much said, everybody. When you serve somebody, then you're serving me. Jesus says, if you want to serve me, if you want to take care of me, if you want to do things that minister to me, then you do things that minister to people. Practical things. You serve people, you serve Jesus. And so she brought service to worship. Uh, how would it be if, if we came and our hearts were more motivated on, when I, come, when I go to church today, who, who am I going to be able to serve? Who am I going to be able to help? Who am I going to be able to minister to instead of, instead of wondering who's going to minister to me when I come? How different would how different would your experience be? 
if you were seeking out, who, who am I going to be able to serve? Who am I going to be able to come to church and, and minister to? Because that's Jesus. And maybe Jesus is sitting next to you in the pew. And there's a way that you can serve one another in practical ways. You say, well, how can I serve Jesus? By serving the person next to you, by serving the person across the street from you, the person down the street, that guy living under the bridge. Those, are, those people are Jesus. And then number four, she brought audacity to worship. I love that word. Audacity. You know what audacity means? Here's what it means. Intrepid boldness or disregard of normal restraints. You say, well, what does that mean? This dinner that, that we're talking about that Jesus got invited to, here's the social norm for how a dinner like this is supposed to go. There's Simon the Pharisee. He's the host. He's invited Jesus as his guest. There are probably other Pharisees, teachers of the law, important people that are reclining at the table with them. If I was just a common person in the town and I was interested in what was being discussed there, I was invited to come into the house, but my role was to come and stand up against the wall. I could listen to what was going on in the dinner conversation, but I was not allowed to participate, not allowed to speak. Um, But I could come in and observe and listen as long as I kept my mouth shut and didn't say anything. Um, And if there wasn't enough room in the house... If you wanted to stand outside the house, maybe close to a window where you could hear what was going on, then that was permissible. But you were not allowed to enter into the dinner, uh, to enter into the conversation, or disrupt anything. Is, Is that what this lady did? Oh my goodness. She like, she crashed the party in a major, major way. She came in and her desire to worship was so strong and so bold that all those little norms, the things that people normally did in that setting, the things that were acceptable in that setting, she did not care. (laughs) Hallelujah is right. It didn't matter to her. The only thing that mattered was her getting as close to Jesus as she could possibly get. And if that meant that she had to break a couple of social rules or break a couple of little taboo things, that was okay with her. Because in her mind, she was dead. And now she's alive because she's had an encounter with this man. And so there's nothing that any of these people who don't like what she does can do to her, to hurt her. There's there's nothing that they can do... to affect or keep her from worshiping her Lord. And, but, but we get hung up on this, and I get hung up on this, and, and, and God is beginning to teach me, and you guys saw some, some of y'all were here at 11 o'clock maybe, and you saw some of our students, and you know, they, they like all piled down here last Sunday. And, and I was talking to Kevin later, and he's like, man, I'm kind of freaking out because they're singing, and, and they're raising their hands, and they're worshiping. It's because they got a glimpse of this last week. Two weeks, two weeks ago at Student Life. They got a glimpse of this. And this whole hang-up that we have on, well, if I raise my hand or if I, uh, if I do something a little different, then uh, that's not acceptable. That's not okay. People are going to look at me. People are, 
she brought, she was audacious in her worship. It didn't matter. Did not matter to her what anybody thought. She was going to be obedient. She was going to do <laughs> what she wanted to do, what she felt led to do to serve the Lord. And, and that ought to be the atmosphere that we have when we come to worship. And, and it's not, let people worship how they want to. If you want to, I mean, I know two weeks ago at Student Life, some, some people would worship by lifting their hands and singing. Some people would worship by getting on the floor on their face on their hands and knees and putting their face on the floor before God because that was their response to that Revelation 4 throne of God that they saw. So it doesn't matter what you want to do. You want to come down here in the middle of a song? You can do that. It's okay. If you wanted to come in the middle of the message, it's not going to freak me out. It's okay. Um, there, we, we should have a freedom to be able to worship and, and maybe, you know, just be audacious. Just say, you know what? I recognize who God is and who I am and I know what he's done for me. And so this that I can do, it may seem way over the top to everybody else, but it doesn't even come close to what God really deserves. doesn't even come close to what, I mean, do I really think that me just lifting my hand fulfills that obligation to worship that I have to God? No. Audacious. Boldness. Not worried about restraints. All out, serve and worship your Lord. And then number five. This kind of goes along and tempers audacity a little bit. She brought humility to worship. Humility is something that, that is very, very, very important. Humility comes with that first one, with awareness. Our, our response when we become aware of who God is and who we are, our automatic, our first response should be humility. We should, I don't know about you, but when I, when I picture seeing that throne in Revelation 4, my, my response is to hit the floor. And John, who was... This was John, whom when he wrote his gospel, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's because John and Jesus, when Jesus walked on this earth, John and Jesus had a special bond. They had a relationship that was more intimate than, than Jesus had with any of the other disciples. So Jesus, probably more than any of the rest of them, knew Jesus in, a, in just a very close personal way. And here is in Revelation 1 when John says, I saw this being who looked like a man and this was Jesus and he describes all this crazy, that his eyes were blazing fire and, and a, a double-edged sword was coming out of his mouth. When John saw Jesus in his glory, what, is it, how was, what was his response? He said, I fell at his feet like a dead man. So, that was John who saw Jesus, who touched Jesus, who talked to Jesus, who slept under a tree with Jesus, who did everything with Jesus for, for over three years of his life. And if that's John's response to seeing Jesus in his glory, then how should our response be any different? 
We should just be humiliated before God because we're aware of who he is and who we are. There's a, uh, there was a story, Hudson Taylor, who was um, one of the greatest missionaries to China uh, in history, he was scheduled to speak at a large Presbyterian church in, in Melbourne, Australia. And the moderator of the service introduced him with these eloquent, glowing terms. They went on and on about Hudson Taylor. Oh, Hudson Taylor's with us this morning. And they went on and on. And he told the congregation everything that Hudson had done in China. And he introduced him as our illustrious guest. And so in response to that, Taylor stood up from his seat and he quietly walked to the platform. And he opened his message by saying this. Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. I mean, if anybody's got a place to brag, Hudson Taylor had it. Go, go Google Hudson Taylor and read all the stuff that he did. You talk about service. You talk about sacrifice. And yet when he came to worship, even in his own mind, in his heart, he knew that uh, this is me. I'm, I'm tiny, tiny, tiny. But my God is huge. And he is illustrious and he's my master. Humility. And then the very last thing which may be the most important, is gratitude. She brought gratitude to worship. Her response, you think, well, what, what made this woman do this? When you read this whole passage and you go, what made her act this way? Somewhere in the past, before this story, she had come in, into an encounter with this man called Jesus. And her life was messed up. And somehow after this encounter with Jesus, she was completely changed. All that sinful dirtiness that her life was full of, Jesus had forgiven her for that. And where nobody else in that town ever showed mercy to her, here was this one man who showed mercy and I can just picture him raising her up off the ground and saying, your faith has saved you. Go. Just like he did with the woman caught in adultery. He raised her up and he said, go and sin no more. She had experienced forgiveness. She had experienced grace. She had experienced mercy. First-hand encounter with Jesus Christ. And so what, you say, well, what fueled her, her worship? It was It was gratitude. She was so overwhelmed by what Jesus had done for her that she, that, that was her natural response. It was normal to her. This is what I ha it was necessary. This is what I have to do. I love the fact that at the beginning it says that this woman who heard that Jesus was at the Pharisee, she was not invited. She didn't just show up to the Pharisee's house one day because she always went there and went, oh wow, Jesus is here. Isn't that cool? And that's kind of what we do at church. We come to church every week. And if God happens to show up and be here, then we go, wow, wasn't that great? <laughs> but it says that when she heard Jesus was there, because of her awareness and because of her gratitude, she was like, I have got to be where he is. I have got to go there. And 
it will cost me everything I've got, but that's okay. I've got, I've got to be where he is. And she came, and her worship was full of gratitude because she had experienced grace and mercy. Um, so the woman's worship was fueled by the mercy she had already received from Christ. Let's um, bow your heads with me and, and, and close your eyes just for a minute. Just because, not because there's anything holy about bowing your head and closing your eyes. That's just kind of what we do during this time every, every time. But for this, for this morning, it's because I want you to uh, kind of drown out all the things around you. And I want you to think about your encounter with Christ. If you're a believer, I want you to go back to that time when you first encountered him. When you understood who he was and you understood who you were and your response was coming to his feet and begging for mercy. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm nothing without you. Lord, I can't save myself. I need you to rescue me. And I want you to think of the mercy and the grace that he gave you. And the mercy and the grace that you live in every day of your life. When you wake up and when you go to your job and you go to your school. And that mercy and grace that you received when you, when you accepted Christ doesn't end. It wasn't just for that day. It's for every day that you live. And if you're, and if you, if you're like me and you understand who God is and you understand who you are, the fact that God would save you, this almighty being who is all-powerful over everything and doesn't need us but wants us, the fact that he would reach down to you and pull you out of the mire and the mud and the murk of your sinfulness and rescue you and even give you the right to be called a child of God now with Jesus Christ should blow your mind. And maybe we talk about salvation and grace so much that, that we don't, that we forget how amazing it is and the, and the song Amazing Grace becomes a cliche and not, not a proclamation. And so the question is, if, if you've encountered that sort of forgiveness and mercy and grace from God, how is it going to fuel the way you worship? How is it going to fuel the way you serve Him? Can you, can you be like this woman? Can you understand and realize that God I'm going to when I come before you when I come into your presence for a time of worship I'm going to all out give myself to you because you have given everything of yours to me and I understand now and I see you for who you are and I've seen me for who I am and I understand what you've done for me and how huge it is and because of that I'm going to when I sing and I picture your throne, I'm going to raise my hands. I'm not going to care what anybody thinks. And when I'm humbled in your presence, I'm going to hit my knees. And it's not going to matter who else because I know what you've done for me. And, and this is going to be my response to you. And God, I know that you want my life to be a living sacrifice. And that means when we leave here, we don't stop worshiping. We don't turn worship on and off like a light switch. 
Or maybe you're here this morning and you think, well, I've never experienced worship like that. And you know that the reason you've never experienced worship is because you've never encountered Christ. And maybe this morning for the first time you've seen who he is. And you've seen that, that Christ that's, that John saw in, in Revelation 1. You see that Christ in a human body hanging on a cross. Letting us kill him and torture him and mutilate him. For you. So that you would not have to suffer the payment for your sin. Maybe you see that for the first time this morning. And your response to that is, that is the gospel. And I see it, and I get it, and I understand it, and I want it. I want that mercy. I need that mercy and that forgiveness from God, and I want it this morning. And if that's what you want, um, we're going to have people down here at the front. We want you to come forward. We want you to come uh, talk to somebody. You can receive that mercy and grace sitting in your seat right now. But God's desire is for you to stand up in boldness just as he hung on the cross publicly. In your place, he desires for you to, to publicly stand for him. So maybe you want to receive that mercy and that grace. Or maybe, maybe you just want to come to the altar as a believer and get before God and say, God, I have totally forgotten who you are. And I want you to ignite in me a passion for worship that I've never had before. Whatever the Lord leads you to do in this place will be appropriate if the Lord is leading you to do it. And so this time is just for you to respond. It's just for you to do whatever the Lord's leading you to do. And so Kevin is going to lead us. We're going to sing. Um, and we want you to respond. Heavenly Father, you are, you truly are God alone. And you are worthy of every audacious thing that we can do to express our love for you. And we give this time to you, God, and we trust that you're going to work in the hearts of people the way you've already determined you want to. And we praise you, and we, and we lift your name up, and we give this time to you. And it's in our Savior's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.